Forest Heights Baptist Church. I'd like to welcome everyone for our evening worship service. We're going to begin tonight by standing and singing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Fair of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Big submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst at my side. seated. Blessed be the rock and let the 
Blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth and blessed be the rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. Good evening, good to see you tonight. I want us to uh, go to the Lord in prayer and Every week I want us to try to remember to, I hope you will, be praying for our search committee. They have a, this is not a sprint, this is a, uh, a marathon. Um, I have often said to search committees and to churches that there's something much worse than not having a pastor. That's getting the wrong one. And uh, it, it can create all kinds of problems. And the thing that works against you most is impatience. And so I am uh, reminded that the Lord calls on us to wait upon him. And the Bible says to us in the way of a promise, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. And Isaiah 40 says, I will mount up with wings like eagles. I'll run and not be weary. I will walk and not faint. And... Uh, I know as you have waited upon the Lord throughout experiences in your life, there have been times when you can mount up with wings like eagles. Other times, maybe not so much, you're running, not be weary. And sometimes it just takes walking is about all you can do. And so uh, I want to pray for our search committee and pray for you as a church because you too must be patient. Uh, if you wanted to get a preacher to fill the pulpit, you can do that in a week. But that is not the task your search committee is looking for. They're looking for God's man for this time in the life of the church. And so uh, I want us to pray for that purpose tonight. Father, we're so grateful for your guidance that you do give us. You promise us, Lord, that the word, your word will be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You promise us, Lord, to guide us and direct us that you have charted our path. And so, Lord, it is not a matter of trying to wonder if you're in control. It's just a matter of getting in tune with you, Lord, and following your leadership. Lord, bless this church. Bless the search committee as they begin this process of searching for the next pastor of Forest Heights. And I pray, God, that the, that your, the experience of walking this journey together will be one that will be uh, a rich one. Yet, Lord, it will be a demanding one. Lord, it's a very vulnerable time in the life of a church, and I just pray, God, that as they even search and reach out to a prospective interim pastor, Lord, I pray that wisdom and discernment would be theirs. You have promised in your word that if we lack wisdom, we ask from you, Father, and you will give it to us in an overflowing fashion. And so I pray that for this group tonight. Lord, I pray for our service tonight, that as we... Uh, Open the word as we study it. Lord, there will be things that will apply to our lives as we seek to live our lives for your honor and for your glory. So, Father, take what's shared tonight, uh, apply to our lives, make us better people and followers of yours as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me quickly remind you that next Sunday night we're going to not have a preaching service, but we will have a a time when I'm going to help explain to you some of the transitional interim pastor process that uh, your search committee is considering. 
and uh, help you to be informed of what that's all about because that's a relatively new uh, procedure and process that churches have been going through for probably the last eight or nine years uh, in a large number, a little bit more rare prior to that, but uh, my father-in-law who passed away a number of years ago, he, uh, he had the uh, opportunity to be intentional interim pastor in about uh, six churches. And so he would, uh, some he spent as long as a year and a half uh, there with them, helping them through the process. So uh, the, the journey is one that will require your patience, and uh, I'm going to share with you tonight what the absolute key to this whole search process is. And we'll be sharing that later. Thanks. Okay, I'm going to shake things up a little bit tonight. The next song is I Stand in Awe. So guess what I want you to do? Stand. You guys are quick. You are beautiful beyond description to marvelous for words to wonderful for comprehension like nothing ever seen or heard who can grasp your infinite wisdom who can fathom the depth of your love you are beautiful beyond description majesty you to remain standing as we sing oh church arise the 
start the uh, message tonight I need your help and uh, need you to think along with me as and share it uh, hang on just a second there we go uh, share with me what you can uh, think of in your recollection and memory of the Lord Jesus Christ's life think of the things that the disciples would have observed Jesus doing throughout the course of their three years with him. What are some of the things he did that they saw? 
This is not a trick question. Heal the sick. All right. He prayed. Okay. What else? Hmm? He slept. He ate. He cried. He raised the dead. Saw him, to, saw him die. Saw his day-to-day life. How about some of the miracles that he did? What, what, what are some of the pretty fascinating things that he did uh, miraculously? Turn water to wine? Cast out demons? Y'all remember any story about walking on water or calming a storm or uh, feeding 5,000? Uh, they saw a lot of things in the life of Lord Jesus Christ. Caught a lot of fish. Matter of fact, uh, in the John 21 account, these professional fishermen fished all night long, didn't catch anything. <laughs> so have I. It's, it, it's funny, my, my son lives on a lake in Thomasville, and he's, a, he, he's an avid fisherman, loves to fish, loves to fish. And the, the only time really that I ever go fishing is with my son. And that's because he hands me the pole with, the, uh, with, with it all ready and says, throw it, Dad, and I'm good to go. And if I catch anything, I say, here, son, take it off. Uh, but he, was, he, he always loves buying gadgets. And so he, he thought, well, you know, he's on a 98-acre lake. He knows the lake like the back of his hand, but he wanted to get a fish finder. You know, it's one of those little things that you can spot it, and it's, it looks in the water, and you can see it, a, a radar image of, of where the schools of fish are. And so uh, he was out fishing one day, and man, that, that uh, fish finder was just going nuts. I mean, it was spotting fish, and he was casting and getting nothing. He gets all the way back home, very frustrated. He thought, man, this thing is just, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on. He still had, had it on demo mode. <laughs> so, <laughs> what he was seeing was not the real thing. Uh, but um, when you think of the disciples and all the things they saw Jesus do during the course of their three years with him, there was only one thing that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach him to do. To pray. Now, in fact, in Luke chapter 11, it says it came about that while he was praying that he was Jesus in a certain place, and after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. When you have a request like that, there's a couple of things that you can take away from it. and It's not an exhaustive list, but at least two things. One is that there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that they wanted to emulate. They saw how he prayed and he thought, man, we have never seen anybody have a conversation like that with the Father before. The second thing that you can take away from that, at least two things. One is the way Jesus prayed was something you wanted to emulate. Secondly, prayer is something that needs to be taught that you don't automatically know how to pray. 
as I've reflected over 40 plus years of ministry, and I've dealt with a lot of churches. I mean, I've dealt with a lot of churches. When I was a consultant um, with Lifeway, if you count the churches I worked with in Arkansas and the churches I worked with in Kentucky, uh, there would be over 300 churches that I worked with. Uh, we have 75 churches in our association here that I work with on a fairly regular basis with at least half of those. And uh, I have not found but a handful of churches that have any kind of plans or preparation in an intentional way to teach people how to pray. I was one of those. My, I think I shared with you um, previously that my dad was not, he, he never went to church. We did have a blessing. He grew up in a Christian home. But you know what, you can grow, you can uh, be in a, in a garage, but that doesn't make you an automobile any more so than being in church can make you a Christian. Uh, but uh, he, he was one of those, you know, the logic defies uh, reasoning. You know, he, he always said, my mom and dad made me go to church, so I'm not going to go. I said, they made you eat too, made you take a bath. Did you stop either of those? No, you didn't, <laughs> you know. But my dad would have a blessing. And it was exactly the same prayer prayed every blessing. There was no deviation. It was like, punch the button, say the prayer, it's done. And so as a kid, I'm thinking to myself, oh, that's what prayer is. Prayer is this thing you memorize and you repeat it. And you repeat it at the right time, usually at mealtime. That's the only time we ever prayed. The only time I ever saw prayer. don't recall ever seeing my mom pray any time in my life. So the only other praying I saw was in church. When I would go to church with my mom, I would see uh, typically a deacon or someone, a usher uh, at the offering or uh, somebody behind the pulpit. And it was a very formal prayer, usually a whole lot of King James in, woven in there. Now, they didn't speak King James anyplace else. In South Georgia, I, Tank, did you recall a whole lot of King James spoken on the streets? I can't recall. But boy, you get inside the church and you start praying, King James comes in good. But that was, what, that was my perception. No, no, I'm not knocking King James. Don't, don't get me wrong. That was just my perception. I, I thought you couldn't pray unless you did it that way. And so I, I, this is the honest to goodness truth, I surrendered, I became a Christian at age 16, surrendered to preach at age 17, went off to a good old Baptist school, guess what they didn't teach me to do? None of them ever taught me to pray. Went off to seminary, was halfway through seminary. I never, I hear people talk about prayer, and they talk about prayer meetings, and they would talk about things like that, but as far as anybody ever teaching me how to pray, Nobody ever did. And so my prayer life was very disjointed. It was very anemic. It was very undisciplined. It was, uh, I, I didn't, I mean, I had read a book or two about prayer. And it was, it was interesting to me. And I could learn some things, pick up some things from that. But I married a young lady whose mom and dad were prayer warriors. I never understood what prayer warrior meant until I met my father-in-law and my mother-in-law. The most godly people I think I have ever been around. 
And my father-in-law was a very experienced pastor and, you know, <laughs> I'm sure he's halfway looking at Pam Cross-Eyed. They lived in Oklahoma. And uh, what in the world are you bring this Georgia boy here to marry you? I mean, it was... And a couple, mar- couple of years into the family, I'd prayed a couple of times for the family. I'm sure he picked up on it. This poor boy doesn't know how to pray. He knows how to kind of say prayers, but he really doesn't know how to pray. So 1978, my father-in-law said, hey, I want to I give you something. I want to work with you through it. There was a little bitty notebook. It was burgundy in color, and on the front of it, it had 2959. It was written by a guy by the name of Peter Lord. Peter Lord pastored the church down in Titusville, Florida for many, many years. And he wrote this book called the 2959 Plan. Old book. I said, 2959? I, what? I, what's the? He says, well, the whole premise behind it was you spend 29 minutes and 59 seconds with the Lord every day. Every day, and you'll have a good, strong, healthy prayer life. They had a youth version of it called a 959 plan. You might guess what that is. Let's not be too aspiring for the, for the youth. But through that tool that God used, my father-in-law taught me how to pray. It so impacted my life that the prayer pattern I use to this day emulates that to a T. I've been using the same pattern of prayer since 1978 with a few deviations here and there, but for the most part, it has been exactly that way. If you could look at my prayer journal, you would go, oh my goodness. Look, there is a pattern that follows for over 40 years. And as I have talked with different people, I have discovered there's a lot of people that know about prayer. They've maybe read a book on prayer. They've maybe attended a study on prayer. They even come to prayer meeting. But listen, I've been going to Baptist churches a long time. We have mislabeled the Wednesday night service. One guy jokingly said, sometimes it's more like an organ recital than anything. Nothing offended there, Bobby, but you know what I mean. We seem to be praying one-dimensionally instead of multi-dimensional. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight, because listen, you want to find the right pastor? You want to make it through this time? Uh, the, the, the one key, if you neglect this as a church or as a search committee, you can just forget it. You might as well go and look up in the yellow pages if they still got them. Look up pastor and go call one because you'll be just about as fortunate to get one. Because being in touch with God about who the next man is to be that's going to stand behind this holy desk, the only one in the universe that knows that right now is God. So... Rather than you telling God who it ought to be, we ought to be asking God about that. So what was it about the 2959 plan that that was so easy to use and so easy to implement? These are some things that it's not unique to the uh, 2959 plan, but it gave me 
It gave me handles. It's just the five aspects of prayer that Peter Lord emphasized. Five aspects of prayer. Because what I've entitled this message is the most powerful, least used resource Christians have. The most powerful, least used resource Christians can have. My mother-in-law used to say, you can bombard any part of the world with prayer. Any part of the world, you can do it in prayer. The first component is the power of praise. Psalm 100 verse 4, and this is not going to be a verse-by-verse verse study tonight. This is going to be more of a topical study on prayer, looking at various scriptures along the way. Psalm 100 verse 4, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. Psalm 145 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Praise is acknowledging who God is. Who God is. Now the unfortunate thing is we know about a thimbleful about who God is. We know that he's all-powerful. We know that he is all-knowing. We know that he is ever-present. He's here amongst us right now. We don't see him. We don't smell him. We can't touch him. But he's here, and he's unchanging. He is a God of, who can be described as love. He, God doesn't love us. God is love. <laughs> it's like fire. Fire doesn't have to try to be hot. Fire's hot. Water doesn't have to try to be wet. Water is wet. God doesn't have to try to love. The Bible says God is love. God is light. God is full of mercy. I love what, the, what Moses, when he said, who shall I say is going to uh, deliver the children of Israel from Egypt? He said, I'm tell them that I am. I am that I am. <laughs> not I was, not I will be, I am. And I love how John picks up on this in his gospel as he repeats that I am idea as, uh, as he talks about various characteristics of God. He says, I am the light of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the true vine. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door of the sheepfold. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, the life. All of those are I am statements that John picks up on. It is acknowledging who God is. You say, well, God already knows who he is. Yeah, but he wants to make sure you know who he is. I heard one person say one time, you know the difference between God and a doctor? A doctor thinks he's God. <laughs> uh, God is God, and there is no equal. There is no equal. So as you come to God, don't come haphazardly. Don't come as if you're rushing into the room and got to talk to him real quickly. Now, there are times when you might need to do that, but if you're going about your daily time, I start every morning going through. I usually let it draw, be drawn out of whatever passage I've been reading in Scripture. I let it come out of that. Lord, what have I discovered about you this morning that I'm reminded of your greatness and your holiness 
you're my refuge, you're my rock, you're my redeemer. And all the characteristics, it's wonderful to write it down because in doing so, you're reminded of that. And boy, oh boy, do the Hebrews love. They love giving God names. I mean, there's a whole studies that are done on the names of God. And those names of God depicted characteristics of God that were unique to their monotheistic belief. Jehovah, the self-existent one. Elohim, the strong one. Adonai, Lord. Lord. Praise is really, really important. It's, it's important in our relationships, isn't it? Uh, I, I tell my wife on a regular basis how much I appreciate things she does for me. Does she already know she does it? Yeah, how, she's been doing it for 45 years in our marriage relationship. And that's wonderful, but I don't ever want her to think I've taken it for granted. I praise her. I've never heard her complain once about it. <laughs> I praise my kids. I really praise my grandkids. In my prayer journal at the beginning of every day, I start with praise. It is a reminder to me of who God is. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. That's the starting point. That's the starting point, as it should be. Then secondly, there's the power of thanksgiving. The power of thanksgiving. Now, the passage I read just a moment ago said, enter his gates with thanksgiving into his courts with praise. There's a distinction I make between the two. They're interchangeable sometimes in Scripture, and I understand that. I don't want to make a big deal about it. But praise is about who God is. Thanksgiving is about what God has done. It's about what God has done. It's acknowledging what God has done in our lives. Psalm 7, 17 says, I will give thanks to the Lord according to his righteousness, and I'll sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, this is one of the most mysterious verses in all the Bible. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now the Greek word for everything means Everything. That's, that's a tough nut to crack right there. There's some things it's, it's hard to be thankful for. He says give thanks for everything. You know what the first thing I write down in my prayer journal every, every morning that I give thanks for? I thank God every day in my prayer journal for saving me, for providing salvation for me in Jesus Christ. I never want that to become mundane. I never want to get used to the fact that I am a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And I would have no hope coming before God in prayer if it were not for the shed blood of Jesus Christ covering me. And I give thanks for that. I give thanks for my five senses. 
They're getting dimmer every day, but I thank God, literally, I will thank God for all five of my senses. I give thanks for my health and the health of my family. I give thanks for the protection. I give thanks for uh, uh, possession of the Word of God. What a treasure we have and the ability to understand it. I give thanks for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. I really try to let Thanksgiving be something where Peter Lord calls it this. He says, you should pray retail and not wholesale. You know what he's talking about? We'll have people pray sometimes, and I'm not, you know, please understand what I'm saying. Some people, they've never been taught. They simply don't know any better. They'll pray for all the missionaries. They'll pray for all the churches. They'll pray for... Let me ask you this. When you pray for all the missionaries, how do you know that prayer is ever answered? Pretty safe prayer to pray. Lord, be with all the sick. He is already. (laughs) Retail means you pinpoint it. You put it on the line there. You, you, You put it there so that there is no way that you will be unaware if that prayer is not answered. But in Thanksgiving in particular, I try to pray retail in the sense of I focus on the last 24 hours. In the morning when I meet the Lord, I will focus on this day. I will give thanks to God for being able to come and preach before you. Uh, Two times today. Double blessing. I will give thanks for the safe journey I got from my house to here and back and all the wet roads and stuff. I will give thanks for the food I had. I'll give thanks for the Valentine card my wife gave me. I'll give thanks for the Reese's cups that I got from my wife today that there's not quite as many now as there were then. Do you get it? And there's always a time in my Thanksgiving saying, God, I thank you for my daily blessings. I don't even begin to know how you bless my life every day that I'm utterly unaware of. Utterly unaware of. Give thanks to God. It acknowledges what he has done. Give thanks for everything. Six and a half years ago, on a Tuesday in a doctor's office here in Athens, I had gone to the doctor the day before uh, with some physical problems. He's my doctor I've had for, at that time, at least 10 years. He and I are good friends. He's a fine Christian man. And there were some abnormalities taking place. So he had a scan done, and I was preaching a revival down in Greene County. Y'all remember revivals? It's when you get together at night. And, well, this was a little country church down in Greene County. I was preaching there. And I get home on Monday night, and my wife says, the doctor called. Well, he's been my doctor for 10 years, but he's never called me at home at night. 
says he wants to see you first thing, wants to see us first thing in the morning. I didn't sleep real well that night. I go to his office and he had the CAT scan results and he discovered I had a tumor in my bladder. It wasn't a huge tumor, but nevertheless, it was a tumor. And the doctor says those words that absolutely rock your world. You've got cancer. How do you give thanks for cancer? Lord took me on a whole new learning curve there. Again, there's a whole new learning curve I discovered in, in going down that road. You see, I had been living in the subdivision where I was living at that time for about mm, eight or nine years. I had this guy next to me that was a retired attorney from upstate New York. I don't know if anybody's from New York. There's some stereotypes of people from New York. He fit everyone. And to compound that, there are stereotypes of preachers from Georgia. <laughs> and he had everyone that thought that uh, I ain't having anything to do with that guy. What I did not know was two weeks before I was diagnosed, he was diagnosed. He would not speak to me prior to that. I tried to make inroads to build a relationship so that I could share the gospel with him. Once he found out I had cancer, the doors relationally flew wide open. I said, Lord, if me getting cancer means that door opens, I give you thanks. Now, I do want you to know that in the last six and a half years, every time I have my appointment in January and it comes back A-OK, -okay, I go, Thank you, Lord, with a whole lot more enthusiasm. <laughs> the third component here in this emphasis is the power of confession. You see, praise is acknowledging who God is. Thanksgiving is acknowledging what God has done. Confession is acknowledging who I am. 1 John 1, 9, you know this verse. If we confess our sin he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness james 5 16 says therefore confess your sins to one another pray for one another so that you may be healed the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much acknowledging who we are I had heard about confession, but I didn't understand confession. I thought confession meant I simply told God what my sins were, almost as if he didn't know. And so as my young days as a believer in my feeble efforts to have some kind of a prayer life, I would always have this list of things that I would acknowledge to God. Yeah, I did this today and that today and, you know, but yeah, yeah. And I'd get through, and I'd say, okay, I'll confess that. Next day, same list. I just <laughs> recited it back to God again until I understood what confession really is. The Greek meaning of the word confess means to agree with God about it. 
I wasn't really confessing. I was telling God about it. I was not confessing it to him because I did not have the same attitude about that sin that God did because what does God think about sin? Does he tolerate it in his presence? Absolutely not. God hates sin. I didn't hate my sin. It was kind of bothersome even to have to list the list to God, but I didn't hate my sin. I really didn't confess it. And until I understood that, confession meant little to nothing to me. Confession means to agree with God, to say the same thing about our sin that God says, and he hates it. And here's the real eye-opener for me in this whole experience. (laughs) The closer I got to God, the uglier I got. My righteousness became as filthy rags as the light of God's truth began to shine on me. David grasped this in Psalm 51. It's amazing that a man who is called a man after God's own heart did the things he did. But oh boy, when he got right with God, he got right. He says in Psalm 51, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. When David chose to get right with God, he got it right. He got it right. When we approach God, we see how great God is, and we see also how sinful we are. The fourth thing is the power of intercession, praying for other people. The first is praise, acknowledging who God is. Second is thanksgiving, acknowledging what God has done. Confession is the third thing, and it's acknowledging who we are. The fourth thing is is intercession, and that's acknowledging who we're praying for. Who we are praying for. In Peter Lord's book, The 2959 Plan, he pointed out something that I had never understood until I read it there. And that is, it is a sin not to be an interceder for other people. 1 Samuel Chapter 12, verse 23, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. It is a sin against the Lord to fail to intercede for other people, pray for them, 
Intercession literally means that, if we're going to use a literal picture here, it's like God is over here and whoever you're praying for is over here. And on behalf of that person you are reaching out to God, you are an intercessor for them on behalf of God, on behalf of this people to God. The unique thing about the 2959 plan for me was, was, it was the, this. I, I had a prayer list, even though I didn't have much of a prayer life. I had a prayer list. And it was kind of mundane in a real sense in that uh, I, I had the same list every day. <laughs> I was like, okay, I just prayed for this yesterday. I just prayed for this person yesterday. Okay, let me have another run at it. what he challenges to do and there's nothing really biblical about this but it's a pattern that he laid down that was very helpful to me and that is on every day of the week you have a different focus to your intercession for instance on Sundays on Sundays you pray for your pastor your worship leader your Sunday school teacher your deacons sister churches other ministers that you may know, your focus of your intercession on Sunday are the servants of the Lord. On Monday, you pray for lost people. Pray for lost people. You know who's been on my Monday prayer list for as long as I can recall? My brother and his wife. He's six years older than me. And I've prayed for them, I've witnessed to them, I've shared with them, and it's going to take a, an act of God, as it always does, for someone to be saved. But I pray for others who are, who are lost. Tuesday, I pray for fellow believers. Fellow believers. People I may know, struggles I may know they're having, whether it's a, a, a work colleague or a pastor that I know or a friend that I know that's having something, my, my own... Uh, relationships with people whoever I know that needs prayer and there's been no shortage of those during this COVID crisis I pray for them on Wednesday I pray for those in authority over me the Bible instructs us to do that I have a list of all the congressional people that represent our area I, I've got county officials from Madison County I uh, I live in Madison County so that's the county I'm praying for I'm praying for the commissioners I pray for for other elected officials, I pray for judges, pray for anybody in authority over me, government-wise. Pray for those who are in the highest of positions, our president, vice president. Yeah, I, don't, I don't pray for them only when I agree with them or they're the ones I want to be there. I have prayed for every president that I have been under uh, since Jimmy Carter. He was president when I started this. Pray for people in authority over you. Thursday, fellow believers. Wait a second, Lex. You just did that on Tuesday. How can you do it again on Thursday? Because in most cases, we know more believers uh, than we know anybody else. The longer you're a Christian, the more your friends and relationships, they're going to be saved people, not lost people. On Friday, I pray for missionaries. Missionaries. I don't pray God bless all the missionaries because you know what? I don't know what they are. 
I go to the imb.org and I go to their prayer list and they'll give me a list of names. Go to the North American Mission Board website. You can get some resources there that will give you names. Week of prayer for uh, uh, home missions or North American missions is coming up in uh, just a couple of weeks. And they will give you a list of names. Take those names and pray for them every Friday. Contact them and say, what can I be praying for you this week? Make your prayer life real and not generic. And Saturday, I pray for personal needs. Pray for personal needs. There are some, some emergencies that come along that you just say, okay, this is a daily one. <laughs> I'm, this is a crisis we're going through with such and such people, such and such church. We're praying for them every day. I don't care what it says at the top of my prayer list. But boy, that revitalized my prayer time. Petition prayer. I, I, prayer is described in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 as pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. James says in James 4, 2 and 3, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You must ask and you must ask with the right motives, with the right direction. It's almost like prayer becomes... Let me just use this as an example. Uh, when I go to... Uh, to my bank they've got these little machines called ATM machines and I've got my personal PIN number personal identification number I'm not going to give it out tonight it's mine you got yours I got mine but it does not matter how many resources I've got in the bank if I don't have a PIN to get to it God has unlimited resources for you and for me and for his church. There is nothing more too difficult for God. Nothing. The pen is P-R-A-Y. In praying to God... You release him to enter what you're asking for. It releases God to enter your situation as you ask in Jesus' name. God is released to enter your situation as you ask in faith. God is released when you pray so that when you ask accordance to his word, it's done. The reason I say it's our most powerful, least used resources because prayer, make no bones about it, prayer is hard. Prayer is work. You say, well, come on, Lex, you just, you just, you just pray, huh? Th this is work. 
Why is prayer so difficult? Why is it that when you call for a prayer meeting, it's the smallest gathering you'll ever have? I think there's some reasons for that. One is because it's spiritual warfare, and the enemy would rather you do anything else in the world but pray. Because it causes us to acknowledge we can't. We seem to wait to the point where we have depleted all of our own resources and then we cry out to God. No. Use it as a starting point. God, I know I'm bankrupt. I know I need you. You've got all the resources. I can't. You can. Because, because the flesh is at war against the spirit in our lives. And finally, because only believers can pray. Only believers can pray. We had somebody, uh, I think it was Evangelist Bailey Smith back, oh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, something like that, made some statement about only Christians could pray. He's right. The world doesn't want to hear that. The world's perception of prayer is entirely different than ours. And oh, what a joy it is to have a praying wife. Now, my wife prays different. She shocks me at times when she prays. She disturbs me at times when she prays. I get concerned that God hears her better than he hears me. <laughs> That's unsettling. We were getting ready to graduate from seminary. I'd been pastoring a little church in southern Oklahoma for about three years. When you get ready to graduate, you start looking for not that part-time little church. You're starting to look time for your first full-time church. And we'd had some churches contact us, two churches, matter of fact. Both of them were great churches. Nothing wrong with the churches. One was in Willis, Oklahoma. Man, right on the shores of Lake Texoma looking out, it was oh, scenic. There's not many places in Oklahoma that you can call scenic. That was one. There was another church in Durant, Oklahoma. I interviewed with them. I was probably about a month and a half from graduation, getting a little nervous. Is there going to be a place? And Pam and I began to pray. And as we prayed, we were very young in our ministry. We began to pray, and I had always been taught, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Rule means to act like an umpire uh, in the decision-making process. You don't get a peace, you don't go. Nothing wrong with the churches, nothing wrong with what they wanted to provide for us, nothing wrong with anything there. The only problem was we could not get a peace about it. That was troubling. So Pam, unknown to me, Pam began to pray. Now you've got to understand, this is 1980. There are no cell phones. Communication was rather primitive compared to today's terms. We happened to pastor a little church outside of Medill, Oklahoma. Medill is a small town. I'm talking outside Medill, Oklahoma, on a dirt road at the end of the road, uh, was, was an old WPA-built schoolhouse, and uh, our church met in that schoolhouse. 
Pam's grandparents allowed us to stay with them every weekend. So it was Saturday night. It was about 9 o'clock. We were playing dominoes with Pam's grandparents, loving every minute of it. And the telephone rings. Pam's grandmother gets up and answers the phone. She says, Lex, this is for you. I'm going, who knows I'm here? (laughs) How can that be? Turns out it was the chairman of a search committee from a church, Western Heights Baptist Church in Duncan, Oklahoma. I barely knew where Duncan was. I had not talked with him before. I get off the phone and I said, that's a little puzzling. Pam says, who was that? I said, it was the chairman of a pastor search committee from Western Heights Baptist Church in Duncan, Oklahoma. He wanted to let me know they're coming to hear me preach in two weeks. Pam said, wow. Her wow was different than my wow. Because her wow, she knew something I didn't know. With these other two churches who were very good churches, she began to pray, Lord, we're willing to go wherever you want us to go. And if we are not supposed to go to either of this church in Willis, Oklahoma, or Durant, Oklahoma, have somebody else contact us before Sunday. And I'm sure the Lord would say, how am I going to get that phone number to that search committee chairman in Duncan, Oklahoma? He didn't say that. Could you tell whether or not that prayer was answered? Oh, yeah. And you know what? It was a wonderful church. Fantastic first church to be at. First two years we were there, the church grew by 25% and and less than two years and I didn't even know what I was doing I was right out of seminary I thought I knew what I was doing I don't have a clue I share all of this with you tonight because this is this is a relationship we're talking about it's not just a discipline that you do this is a relationship with God so that as you communicate with him and he communicates with you and as this church is searching this is one of the most vulnerable times any church who is without a pastor because the enemy's going to come in and he's going to try to stir stuff up. I don't know what that stuff is, but he does. And if you are not spending time bathing your search committee in prayer and bathing this church in prayer, bathing me in prayer while I'm here and bathing your interim pastor in prayer, it's going to be a rough and rocky But I am here to tell you, that is not God's will for this church. God's will wants you to draw near to each other and in process, draw near to him in prayer. I challenge you, renew your commitment to your prayer life. Let it become a vibrant part of who you are and what you are about. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I so thank you for Peter, Lord, and the impact he's had through that little notebook he provided. And I so thank you for my father-in-law who is with you right now. 
and for his willingness to take time with a with his son-in-law to help him understand just the basics of prayer and father i thank you that you allow me to approach you each and every day and i can only do that because of the shed blood of jesus i cannot come on the basis of anything else cannot come on the basis of my goodness or my faithfulness Lord, I discovered that even when I'm unfaithful, you're faithful. <laughs> I plead the blood of Jesus. And so, Lord, tonight as this has been shared, I pray that it makes an impact in people's lives tonight. Right where they are, that they're willing to say, yes, Lord, I, you know, I've let my prayer life slide a bit. Or maybe, Lord, I've really never had anybody teach me how to pray. And Lord, I thank you for your instruction even tonight. Father, take this message planted in the hearts of those who are here tonight. Let it bear fruit. Fruit that you are aware of and they are aware of as they take this spiritual journey with you. Accomplish your purpose during this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're here tonight and you want to make a commitment of some sort to the Lord. And you want to come and need me to pray with you, I will be glad to do so. If you come and kneel and just want to have a conversation with God yourself, make this an altar of prayer tonight. As we stand and as we sing our hymn of invitation, you come. <clears throat> Thank you for that message. Uh, before we sing our closing chorus, I have some announcements I need to repeat. Um, first of all, there is a church conference this Wednesday night, and we'll be having our prayer service afterwards. <coughs> also, we have s several opportunities for offerings. We have the uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Goal is $6,000. We have the uh, Operation Christmas Child. Uh, focus for February is socks, hats, gloves, and scarves. 
I did good. I'm getting a thumbs up over here. Okay. We also have the love offering for the uh, trip that the church gave to Mike and Debbie to the Holy Land. If you want to contribute towards that, there are some envelopes in the back of the seats. Uh, just take one and give as you feel led. And lastly, I want to apologize. Uh, John had a um, announcement about there was a need for the homeless. They're in need of waterproof footwear. So if you can help him either by providing some or giving him some cash, he can go and get some. Is there any other announcements that needs to be mentioned before we close tonight? I'm trying to get better at this. For our viewing audience, Tim has mentioned about next Sunday night special service where uh, Lex will be talking about the process, I forgot how he's termed it, transitional interim pastor. Any other announcements? All right, well, let's close by singing His Name is Life. His name is Master. Lord. 